Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. In times past, one of the things I personally have found difficult to absorb or believe is the references to giants in the Bible. I mean, let's face it, giants have always been presented in literature as fairy tales or mythology. In Greek writings, the Titans are supposed to be giant gods, some of whom procreated with human women. The offspring was often as large as the fathers with interesting powers. But that's just Greek mythology, right? Jack and the Beanstalk or Jack the Giant Killer is another example. This and others like it are simply childhood stories used to entertain and and even terrify little children, aren't they? It seems that every ancient culture references giants or gods with great height and tremendous powers. Are, Are all of these a result of overactive creative minds or was there any semblance of truth to be found there? Well, over the last few years, one of the things I've discovered is that going back to the late 1800s, early 1900s, and even further, newspapers were often filled with articles about the latest find of gigantic bones. Numerous states in the United States lay claim to unearthing gigantic bones. Some of the skulls uncovered still had traces of bright red hair dug up on or near Native American reservations of this country. Interestingly enough, the largest skeleton ever discovered in North America was located in West Hickory, PA, with a total height of 18 feet tall. That's 18 feet tall, twice the size of Goliath. Now, someone might ask, well, look, if these skeletons have been unearthed, where are they now? Great question. And it appears that for every skeleton located and unearthed, the Smithsonian took the bones to, quote-unquote, catalog them and study them. Well, the problem is that they've never once put out any of the bones or skeletons on display ever. But when it comes to dinosaur bones, no problem there. We've probably all been to museums that display large, rebuilt skeletons of numerous dinosaurs, but I've yet to see even one example of a skeleton of any human or humanoid giant. Have you? Have you seen it personally? I'm not talking about pictures in a magazine or fake pictures. I'm talking about the real thing. It just doesn't mean, though, that those bones don't exist if we've not seen them personally. It simply means that once confiscated by the Smithsonian, they were simply stored away out of sight. Reminds me kind of at the ending of the Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Once the biblical Ark of the Covenant had been found in the movie, the Smithsonian swooped in, took it, and literally stored it away in their extremely huge warehouse with a ton of other ancient artifacts. Now, in truth, of course, there have been numerous discoveries of gigantic skeletons that also turned out to be hoaxes. That's unfortunately a fact. In a few cases, scientists were originally convinced of the authenticity, but after more research and investigation, things turned out to be fake. The Cardiff Giant is one such example, which was originally quote-unquote found in the state of New York years ago. But reports of finding gigantic bones and full skeletons of human and humanoid creatures is replete in history throughout the world, and there are many, many examples of eyewitness accounts of finding individuals 
giants or even two together or an entire family of giant proportions. Most found have been in the area of between seven to nine feet tall, but a few have been far taller. One listed in the daily public ledger listing Diamond Lake, Cass County, Michigan as the place where the skeleton was found, was measured to be 11 feet tall and unearthed in 1894. Other giant skeletons were also located a few decades later, smaller in statue, found, I guess, about eight feet. They've even uncovered skeletons that highlight the fact that in some cases, horns grew out of the skull. And they've also unearthed powerfully built pygmy skeletons. So why would the Smithsonian literally store these findings away from the public? Well, at one point in the past, the Smithsonian did not do this with these skeletons or bones. They actually issued reports on them and their findings. Here's part of a report, one of their reports, on one of the skulls uh, that Augustus Mitchell, M.D. of St. Mans, Georgia, discovered in 1875. Quote, a bisection of some of these teeth showed dental nerve to be protected by an unusual thickness on the surface of the crown. Not one carious, or that means decayed, tooth was found among the hundreds in the mount. The second set of teeth was observed while one jaw had evident signs of a third set, unquote. And they're talking about full sets of teeth where there are like two full sets of teeth, one behind the other. And in this case, they're referencing potential for a third set of teeth. Now, the report also talks about finding a huge axe, the largest the writer had ever seen. The doctor believed that the skeleton, once pieced together, was about seven feet tall. And the particular book I'm quoting from is replete with example after example of newspaper articles that highlighted findings of gigantic bones that had been unearthed. Now, of course, that was before the press was so controlled as it is today. Truly, the press originally was independent, not anymore. So as authors Vieira and Newman note in their book, which is called Giants on Record, they note that the Smithsonian Institution became a repository of most, if not all, the gigantic bones that have been unearthed throughout America. And the Smithsonian actually paid to receive the bones and skeletons. It is interesting how many reports of giant bones and skeletons findings were shipped to the Smithsonian. Here's a quote. Dozens of reports end in something like this. The bones were shipped to the Smithsonian Institution for further study. So if, if that's the case, why has the Smithsonian been completely mum on the subject? Are they still studying the bones? Why shouldn't reports be issued to the public? In 1864, the Smithsonian became a governmental trust, which means in part that they receive the public's tax dollars. Now, like all government agencies who run on tax dollars, there certainly should be some sort of transparency, right? Reporting to the taxpayers, because without our money, they're not going to do anything. But all too often, there is little to nothing with a lot of double talk. But do we need to rely solely on the Smithsonian for what they will not provide to the public? Not really, as it has become clear that for the past, oh, 100 years or more, there are plenty of newspaper reports highlighting the reality of giant bones, skulls, and even full skeletons found or unearthed. Well, sure, it would help to have the Smithsonian come clean, but no one expects them to do so any more than any other government agency is going to all of a sudden be truthful and forthright. 
just doesn't happen. Is there anything else that helps provide clarity for this particular subject of giants? Yes, there's always circumstantial evidence found within the realm of archaeology. For instance, Joel Kramer has a wonderful YouTube channel called Expedition Bible, and I have links for this stuff in the uh, transcript. He's an actual archaeologist and has lived in the Middle East, mainly Israel, for the past few decades. There he does maybe mo more than that, actually. Quite a bit of his life as a youngster is spent there, too. There he does most of his expeditions and his discoveries are simply fascinating. One video in particular that my wife and I watched recently is titled Archaeological Evidence for Giants in the Bible. In this 12-minute video, Joel takes us to a museum where several spearheads had been discovered in Israel. Now, the size of the largest spearhead was roughly 14 inches long, massive. That was just the spearhead, and uh, it came from the Bronze Age. Now, Joel takes us through the process of attempting to determine if there's any validity to believe that this particular spearhead was used by a gigantic person. He explains that other archaeologists concluded that this particular spearhead was only used for decorative purposes. Yet at the same time, they acknowledged that the spear had actually been used as a spear because of the slight chinks of missing pieces from the edge of the spear. It actually showed, it actually showed you know, usage. So Joel's point is that most archaeologists today are secular. So they will deliberately avoid any reference to the Bible, rarely, if ever, using it as any type of source material. Now, there are exceptions, but for the most part, most, most archaeologists are just simply secular and ignore scripture. They don't care that the Bible in numerous locations mentions giants and even provides anecdotal evidence that indicates extremely tall men or women lived during ancient biblical days. For instance, Og of Bashan, as I've noted previously, or maybe even Goliath, they don't even realize their own contradictory statements. If the spearhead had been actually used as a spear, then it was not made to be a decorative piece, was it? And the opposite also holds true. I like Joel's videos because he seems to honestly go about the business of trying to determine the truth about what he finds, wherever it leads. He's gone on many searches that he has videotaped so that we can understand the context and background of Scripture better than simply by reading it. Although, of course, that's exactly where our study of God's Word should always begin, reading it, studying it. But he provides his what he finds, his evidence, to support and give us a greater context. The Bible seems to take for granted the fact that giants existed before and after the great flood of Noah days. We don't exactly know how giants existed after the flood, but the Bible tells us that they did, and they're referred to as Nephilim. We see this in the case because of what Israel found as they moved through the uh, and toward the promised land. They encountered giants at various points, whether it was Og, Goliath, or some other large human or humanoid. We're all familiar with David taking on Goliath of Gath. Remember, he picked up the five stones. That's because Goliath had four brothers, and he would be ready for them. And Goliath himself may have been one-fourth Nephilim and three-fourths Philistine, which may account for the fact that he was smaller in size, under 10 feet, than Og or others. And let's not forget that, um, again, Goliath had four brothers. So David killed, and they were all giants. David killed Goliath, and it appears he was far more indignant toward Goliath than afraid of him. Who gave him 
that indignant attitude. Obviously, God did. And David knew instinctively that God would slay the giant through him, David, and God did that. If we stop to consider it, there are many things in Scripture that are often difficult for us to navigate mentally, isn't it? It's hard to get a picture. Well, that's because the Bible does not provide much information. For instance, when the Red Sea parted as Moses stood before it, what did that actually look like? What did it sound like? We only know what the Bible says, but it's difficult for us to imagine how that must have actually appeared to those standing there watching and as they crossed over on dry land. Here's the text, Exodus 14, 21 to 23. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And we know what happened to them eventually, because God allowed the waters to come back together. So the Israelites moved forward as the waters split in the middle and created a wall on each side. Now that must have been freaky to observe, don't you think? Did they see creatures from the water swimming around on each side, but held back by the edge of the walls of water? Was there noise associated with this parting aside from the wind? Seems to be the case here. Water, when it moves, is not particularly quiet. But try to rationalize this and picture it with your mind to understand what the Israelites saw. And for me, at least, it's difficult to do. The Bible is filled with miraculous events. Many are difficult for us to process because we weren't there. However, not being there does not mean we do not believe that they occurred. We do believe it. It's just that we sometimes wish we had greater understanding of those events. As John the Apostle was privy to see the future unfold and how, saw how things looked, he was yet still confused at many things, as was Daniel the other, and the other prophets from old. Just because they saw visions, it doesn't mean they had absolute perfect understanding. They didn't. As for me, if I had an access to a time machine. I'd want to go back in history to be able to view events as, as they occurred. Wouldn't you love to be able to just go back and see Jesus, hear his voice, sense his deep compassion, and watch how he interacted with ordinary people, his disciples, and the religious leaders? Wouldn't, wouldn't you want to see that? Well, one day, of course, we will see and hear Jesus and interact personally with him. But right now, it's difficult. There's a veil, as Paul says. Did giants exist in Scripture? I believe so because the Bible appears to make it clear. The giants were remnants of sin perpetrated by fallen angels with humanity in their attempts to create things in their giant's image. What they did was actually make matters far worse for human society that they had no business becoming part of, but they chose to do that. And they were judged for it. And I believe, frankly, that we are quickly heading to the time when there will be repeats of these types of things perpetrated by fallen angels. Only next time, it will be perpetrated by aliens from space. And if you know anything about what I believe, I believe that those aliens are simply demons in disguise. And I've written books about that. But consider from 2012 forward, there are already scientific examples of crossbreeding attempts in the lab with various animals 
and even with human DNA for cloning purposes. What's going to happen when aliens reveal themselves and then Antichrist comes on the scene? Seems like the dam will break, allowing anything and everything with respect to genetic modification. While we should not be looking for the Antichrist, but for Jesus instead, it is helpful to understand the times in which we live. It shouldn't cause undue worry or concern. It should actually push us back on Jesus at every turn. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And until we meet again, I pray that God would open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 